This episode of Working Lunch is fueled by... Nothing. What? Nothing. Kelly, let's let's roll tape. Let's get the heck out of here. It's time for a long weekend. Let's do the show. Can I help you? We need to talk about your flair. I think I'm going to have to go supersize. We need a political revolution. And we will make America great again. From the home office of Align Public Strategies in downtown Orlando, Florida, this is Working Lunch. Coming up on the podcast, big week for operators who accept debit card payments. Republicans remove language about swipe fees from one of their top priorities. Paid family leave made it into the Trump budget proposal. We'll explain how this will likely play out for employers. Those stories and more, plus the legislative scorecard from around the country. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sean Kelly, alongside Align Public Strategies partner, Franklin Coley. Joe Renzel is in Washington, D.C., and even though Joe Kefauver has crossed international waters and sounds like he's in a clandestine NPR studio somewhere, he's still working, so we pulled him in for the pod. It is the Friday before Memorial Day weekend, which means in the D.C. bubble, there's not a whole lot going on, but there was a lot to the week. Renzel, what happened, especially with swipe fees? Yeah, I'm probably one of the last men standing here in the bubble. Um, but we had, we did have a good week, you're right, Sean. Uh, great reason to celebrate for merchants. You know, we took it to the banks once again on the swipe fee reform issue. Uh, Republican leadership basically removed uh, the problematic language, the stuff we didn't like, uh, from their one of their priority issues, the Choice Act, and allowed it to move forward. We expect a vote in June, but this is a big deal. Um, merchant, the merchant community came out you know, over the recess and really advocated strongly uh, and were able to get Notch in a real big win against the banking industry, which is certainly one of the more powerful voices here in D.C. Really good job on behalf of the, the merchant community. We, we took a big fight with the banks to the table um, and, and ended up walking away a winner. And what's the news on the border adjustment tax, the BAT? Yeah, that was another good message coming out of D.C. So the uh, tax writing committee on the House side, they had a hearing on the border adjustability tax, and it, there were a lot of Republicans that joined Democrat opposition to, to the provision. This is a provision that you might recall would put a 20% tax on imports, which is a big problem, particularly for retailers um, and others across the board in the merchant community. Um, it's definitely something that pretty much got a lot of kind of deflating news this week. Uh, Secretary Munchen came out and said, you know, this was not something that the Trump administration was prepared to work with in terms of tax reform. Uh, so it's kind of the continuing demise of that issue. So that's, a, that's good news for retailers. Joe, is it fair to say that since January, this is probably the best week we've had in D.C. for entry-level employers? I think that's a fair statement. I mean, I think it's been on the target list in terms of the calendar for various organizations here in D.C. for a while now. It was unclear how far they'd go, particularly on the Choice Act provisions. But, you know, that's a huge win. That's a long, bloody fight with the banks. And uh, we were able to kind of put it to bed for a good couple of years, in my opinion. Rizzo, let's talk about paid leave for a second. It was also in the news in the D.C. bubble. How are we scoring the fact that the Trump administration included paid family leave uh, for fathers and adopted parents included in the budget proposal? Well, Sean, I mean, you got to remember, this is a budget proposal. It's, uh, it's not legislation. It's a, it's a wish list, so to speak. Um, there are a lot of other issues in that uh, proposal that Democrats uh, pan pretty aggressively, most notably the uh, limits on a lot of the Medicaid and 
and other programs for uh, low-income folks across the country. Uh, that took most of the attention, um, but at the same time, you know, it's a long process in terms of the budget. Again, it's a wish list from the president. Um, we'll, it remains to be seen how far some of those provisions might go from a legislative perspective. Franklin, do you think this thing has legs? Probably not. You know, what it? I think it's meaningful and it's worth discussing because it moves the issue forward. You know, the first time Republican president's ever done this, it, it shows this conversation is more or less over. And so, I, you know, I think it probably gives a lot of cover to Republicans across the country, not only at the federal level, but also at the state and local level, to support some form of paid leave. And that is significant. Yeah, I agree with Franklin. I don't, I don't think the, the proposal has, you know, much, much chance in Washington, but I do think um, it's politically significant because it gives cover now to moderate Republicans who may have been inclined to support these types of policies now to kind of come out and be a little more open, a little more forceful about it, especially downstream at the state and local level. Uh, and if that happens, that kind of changes the industry's political calculation as it approaches this issue. This week, we got some of the details of the proposed Trump budget, and there's a couple ways of looking at this. Let's start with the legislative side and whether or not we think any of this has legs. There are some major cuts in play here. Franklin, do you think it has any legs? Here's the deal. It, this is a very interesting theoretical conversation at this point. You know, these, this is campaign policy proposals essentially being thrown out, and we have... We're going to have nearly a year of discussion around this. And any time you talk about reform of any entitlements, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be drawn out. The smart money is going to say that not much is going to happen. Um, but this is going to be a long conversation and a long process ahead to see if anything, anything changes or is accomplished. But Joe Kefauver, you think that no matter what happens on the legislative side, just entering into this conversation of deep cuts in the budget um, opens us up or opens the conversation up to kind of an ugly side of things. Franklin's right. It's a long shot, you know, whether we ever have these Medicaid cuts or not. It's a political game. But the problem is over the course of that year as that plays out, we'll have an examination as to who's on Medicaid and more importantly for you know, our community, who, who are those employers of those, of those folks on Medicaid? And traditionally, our industry doesn't do very well in that conversation. You saw in 2003, 4, and 5, after, the, after that recession, a spate of bills at the state level, the so-called Walmart bills, where there were mandates on employers that a certain percentage of their payroll had to be in benefits, and if they couldn't meet that standard, they had to pay into the state Medicaid fund, these are so-called, you know, shaming laws, if you will. Uh, following the recession in 2007 and 8, you saw another, you know, similar conversation play out. By that point, the retail community had kind of changed their benefit packages and were a little more robust, and it really became a McDonald's quick service conversation. And it's kind of stayed in that space ever since. So I'm more worried about the broader conversation of Medicaid, who's on Medicaid, why are so many people that are working on Medicaid, and that conversation invariably comes back to bite the industry. And at a time when we already have reputational challenges, 
you know, it's not very good timing. Look at the the, the effort on the fight for 15, how well-funded uh, that effort is, how well-organized, how the entire narrative around a $15 minimum wage has been changed. If this Medicaid conversation is allowed to fester and become more prominent in the, in the national debate, they could turn their attention toward this conversation. And again, it's just one that the industry can ill afford to have. Hey, I want to talk about the special elections that have been going on. There was one in Montana. Uh, we got the vote in uh, late Thursday. And uh, you better watch out, Renzel, because the new congressman from Montana, uh, he likes to rough it up a little bit. He, this is the guy that roughed up a reporter. Now, for operators, they may not care so much about these special elections, but do you guys see a trend line that's occurring? I think if anyone was in D.C., the biggest conversation in congressional offices today would be, you mean I can choke, slam, and punch a reporter and still get elected to office? I think that would be the conversation going on across Capitol Hill today. Um, You know, look, these special elections, they're kind of one-off deals, and, you know, for operators, they don't necessarily mean a lot. That being said... We're now starting to get a significant body of special elections, a significant sample size. We have enough now that we can, you know, line them up, you know, four or five, maybe even six special congressional elections. We have some special elections at the state level as well. And in almost all of them, we're seeing Democrats overperform. At this point, we're getting enough of these to start to, I think, see a trend line, and it does not look good for Republicans heading into the midterms. Joe Renzel? Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, there's there's definitely you know, some concern in Republican circles. I think the special elections plus some recent polling related to Trump and how he's fallen off in some of those closer districts that he won uh, in the election, I think, is a cause for pause for some of the some of the Republican Party uh, machines that are running out there looking at 2018. It just calls into question, you know, the, the stuff we've been talking about, the speed that needs to occur to get some of these legislative priorities done before uh, it's too late in terms of the legislative cycle has is, is got to be of chief concern to folks over at the RNC and, and other places. If anything, it just reaffirms for Democrats that there's blood in the water disincentivizes them from compromising or working with the president or Republicans in the Hill in any way. And I think probably just emboldens Democrats to essentially shut things down and oppose everything. Just a quick note, as a former journalist, I think what this guy did is disgraceful. Okay, it's time for the legislative scorecard. These are the top items from around the country that are affecting business operators, and we'll kick it back up to the D.C. bubble. Renzel, what's going on with minimum wage and a federal minimum wage? Yeah, you had, uh, we talked about this before, but you had uh, Bernie Sanders uh, introduce, formally introduce the $15 wage, uh, minimum wage. Uh, I believe it it has a kind of phase-in period and then links to inflation after that. Um, probably the most notable piece there is that Democrat leadership has really fully embraced that. And I think you'll see more and more of that uh, part of the party platform being talked about um, by, by Democrat leaders across the country. I think they're going to use it as an issue to divide uh, against Republicans at the local, state and federal level. All right. Speaking of local and state, Franklin, what's happening there? 
So at the state level, we have a lot of legislatures wrapping up for the year. And so we're getting outcomes in a, in a lot of states. Louisiana, uh, the minimum wage bill there was a priority of the governor. It is dead for this session, may come back next. Uh, Minnesota, there was a labor preemption measure that was passed by the Republican legislature. Uh, that has They have now uh, ended for the year. They have that bill on the governor's desk. The governor has indicated he will veto it, but they threw a bunch of sweeteners in there to try to convince uh, Dayton to sign it. So he has 14 days. We'll see what happens. Everyone will be watching that closely. Finally, in Nevada, the Republican governor there who has said before that he opposed and would veto any minimum wage increase is now indicating that maybe he would consider one if it was tied in with some some other priorities. Renzel, how are things playing out in Minneapolis? Yeah, kind of uh, backing up the point that Franklin was talking about in Minnesota, Minneapolis, uh, the city put out an impact report on minimum wage increases, uh, which would recommend a $12.49 per hour with a phase-in over several years. Uh, no exception for tipped workers is contemplated in that. We expect legislation to be introduced pretty soon, um, but at the same time, you know, the mayor and several city council members over the last year have publicly supported a $15 hour minimum wage. So with the uh, expected potential demise of the preemption bill at the state level, uh, we expect to see some action in Minneapolis here shortly. Let's transition over to paid leave in Maryland. Franklin, it looks like we've got some heat, some battles coming on there. Yeah, we've got a little bit of a mess. Um, the Democrat-controlled legislature uh, passed a paid leave measure. It's pretty strident. It's uh, five days of paid leave a year. Um, it is much more than the governor wanted to see, so he has vetoed that. Now, the legislation passed both houses with enough votes to override a veto, but um, the numbers in the Senate are really tight. Essentially, if one uh, with one defection, they would not override the veto and, and the measure would fail. So we're going to have a big battle in the Maryland Senate, either in special session or when the legislature reconvenes in January. Joe Renzel, in New York, it's been a long, drawn-out process on a scheduling package, and the vote was pretty brutal. Yeah, it was a pretty rough week in New York City. Um, there was, as you mentioned, a lot of uh, advocacy efforts on, on the part of the industry to try and put amendments in play that maybe would make uh, the language around scheduling a little bit, a little bit easier to deal with. Um, unfortunately, virtually none of them were accepted. Um, probably the most challenging provision that, that passed the city council will be the offering of hours to new employees before um, before you can offer it to existing employees, that's really going to be problematic to implement from an operator's perspective. Um, so the situation now is the, the package of bills goes to the mayor. He's you know expected to sign it. Um, he does have a window to do so, but he's probably going to do it sooner rather than later. After he signs it, there'll be a 180-day rulemaking process uh, that I know the industry will engage in as well, trying to affect change that way. Um, but you know this was. This was definitely a loss in, in, a, in, a, in a challenging environment in New York City. So we'll, we'll continue to watch it, and we operators have a good uh, period of time here before having to implement anything. Um, but it's going to be a challenge one way or the other. And this last one doesn't affect too many operators, but we do want to mention it. Uh, soda tax in Tacoma, Washington. Franklin? Yeah, there's no legislation yet, but Tacoma is going to consider what to do in a soda tech next week. It's worth mentioning because 
this issue is starting to pop up in places all around the country. Obviously, Tacoma is looking at what's going on in Seattle, but I think you're going to see more uh, jurisdictions getting into this game in the coming months and years. That's all for this episode of Working Lunch. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. Please remember the men and women who died for our country. We'll be thinking about their families as well. Take care.